This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. And I remembered so many students being like, oh, in your fifth year, all your data is going to come together and you're going to have this great PhD. And I was like, that's not true. It's true. It happened for me as well. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we hear from a recent PhD graduate who shares her tips on choosing the right mentor, dealing with failure, and more. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 191. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey there, Dan. Happy spring. Long time no see, Josh. It's been about 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we hung out in person a couple weeks. A couple weeks. It was a couple <laughs> days ago. It was like three hung, days ago. <laughs> we hung out in person this weekend. Yes, we did. It feels like a much longer time when we're apart, I assume. Uh, it, it sure does, Dad. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but the pollen has descended upon Maryland. I imagine we're a few weeks behind you, but uh, if it sounds like I'm stuffy and my nose is running, it's because it is. Well, Josh, I know how to clear that up uh, with our ethanol this week. That's right. A nice tequila mixed with jalapenos. I think that would do the trick to open those sinuses right up. And that's what we had when I was in town with you on Friday. Yeah, we went out to a little bar called, I think, The Waiting Room, is it called? The Waiting Room in Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> the, it, was, it was raining, and we walked in, uh, and they didn't have any spaces for it. It was kind of a hip little place, so it was at full capacity. Uh, and and they you, said, under, you understate it, Dan. It was pouring rain, lightning and thunder. It was torrential, sure. And we were standing out in it. We looked like uh, drowned rats, I think, if that's the right term. But, and I think this is true at any bar you go to, there was a spirit of the bar. There was a gentleman who had had a couple of drinks who invited us to sit down with him. Uh, he had a group of friends there. He let us kind of hang out at his table while we waited for something to open up. And he recommended a drink to us. And the drink is called Shut Up and Drink It. So tell everybody what's in the Shut Up and Drink It. Before we did, the spirit of the bar, you say this is not a spirit, like a drink spirit. but uh, No, this is the, <laughs> the essence, the human essence, the person who embodies the vibe of the bar. Yeah, Dan. So we we had this drink. Shut up and drink it. Uh, but the key spirit in this drink was the twenty one seeds jalapeno and cucumber tequila. And and I looked it up, Dan. This is uh, this is a woman owned distillery. Uh, twenty one seeds, um, and they are known for their infused tequilas. They have several, but the one that featured in the drink that we sampled was this jalapeno cucumber tequila. That really piqued my interest, Dan, because I love a cucumber infused spirit. Although I've had cucumber gin, I've had cucumber vodka, never had cucumber tequila. So I was very interested to try this. You have now. It was rounded out with some lime juice, lemon juice, agave, and smoked pineapple juice. So. The It was really a margarita, a take on a margarita, I would say, uh, served in a, a short glass. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was great, Dan. And I'll tell you, you just read off the ingredients that were listed on the menu. And I read all this, you know, jalapeno, cucumber, 
the lime and lemon, of course, smoked pineapple. I really thought this drink was going to be a train wreck, to be honest with you. It was going to be overwhelmingly syrupy or sweet or something would overpower the flavor of the drink. But I have to tell you, Dan, and I had two of these, this was one of the most perfectly light and balanced cocktails that I have had in a while. I was very impressed. It was not sugar syrup. That was nice about it. It, it was tart. There was a hint of sweetness, but yeah, it was, it was quite good. So check it out. If, you're, if you need to go to the waiting room, that's a place to uh, grab a nice shut up and drink it. And if you are interested in the concept of jalapeno cucumber tequila, uh, I went to the 21 Seeds website and found that I can purchase this uh, close to my house. So maybe you can find it near your place. You can serve one to your wife. Shut up and drink it. I'm sure she'll, <laughs> she'll be very impressed. Uh, all right, Dan. Well, I was, uh, I was thankful for some time to spend with you uh, this past weekend, but what else are we thankful for? Well, there is a grant opening up from Promega. This is a QPCR grant. Um, as many listeners will know, QPCR is a workhorse tool in most gene expression studies, but developing the right techniques for your system can be really difficult. So Promega started this QPCR grant program in 2019 to provide scientists with the support they need to overcome those challenges in the lab and succeed in their research goals. And with this grant, you'll not only receive $15,000 toward the purchase of any Promega reagent supplies or instruments, but you'll also get exclusive access to Promega technical mentors uh, for experiment design, optimization, and troubleshooting. And, and they're really looking for early career researchers uh, to apply for this grant. So if you are working in QPCR, you can go to promega.com slash global slash QPCR dash grant. And we'll put that link on our website. We sure will. And so, Dan, if you are a grad student listening to this thinking, well, I can't apply for a QPCR grant. There's no way I'd be competitive for that. You're saying that's not true. They should apply. They are specifically looking for early career molecular biology researchers. And they say research scientists, postdocs, graduate students, undergraduate students. So really anybody listening you know, they're looking for somebody curious, empowered, uh, that is, is trying to, to do something with QPCR, and maybe they need a little bit of A, money, and B, mentorship. And I think uh, you can go apply for that before May 5th. So the time window is very short. I would say get your applications in. All right, Dan. Also, would like to say thanks to our new Patreon patron. A big thank you to Owen, who has joined our community of patrons. Thanks so much. All right, Dan. Let's get on with our topic of the week. All right, Dan, uh, we have part one of a two-parter coming this week. I had an opportunity to sit down with Dr. Emma Hinkle, and Emma is a, a newly minted PhD, fairly new, within the last few months. And there were a couple things I wanted to talk to Emma about. Emma has been pretty active on social media, so I knew she had graduated recently, and she had stated some lessons that she learned, some things that were obvious to her things that suddenly became obvious upon graduation about her experience as a graduate student that I thought was was broadly applicable to our listening audience. So we're going to talk about that today. Emma's going to share this wisdom she has obtained now with this PhD. Uh, but then the other thing I thought was interesting about Emma that our listeners might enjoy, uh, she has transitioned into a career as a medical writer. And throughout her graduate experience, I know that she had interest in 
gaining experience with writing and science communication? And I know those, those are questions we get sometimes from students who have those interests. How do I get that experience as a grad student? How do, how do I pursue those types of careers? So we're going to talk about Emma's experience as a grad student this week. And then on our next show, we're going to go in-depth about Emma's experience pursuing careers in scientific communication. And we're going to talk a lot about her job as a medical writer. So if that's something you think you might be interested in, uh, we're going to learn a lot about that uh, um, in our next episode. Love it. Well, let's hear what Emma had to say. I am Dr. Emma Hinkle. I recently finished my PhD at UNC in genetics and molecular biology. And I just started a job in the past few months as a medical writer. Yeah, that's really exciting. Welcome to the show, Emma. And we're going to definitely talk to you a lot more about your position as a medical writer and your transition into that career out of grad school in just a little bit. But first, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your past and your interest in science and your grad school journey. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about what made you decide to go to grad school in the first place. Yeah, for me, my grad school journey, I feel like is very similar to a lot of people's. I was, I think, in my senior year of college and realized, oh, I can go and get a PhD and get paid for this. And just found that such a novel and exciting idea. Because at that point, I had done some research in labs and really liked the element of just pursuing science and doing experiments and trying to figure out new hypotheses. So that kind of led me to apply for a PhD. And I was accepted as a PhD student at UNC. And it was interesting because at least how UNC works, you have these three rotations your first year that you're trying out labs. And pretty soon into those three rotations, I realized, I don't know if research is for me, but kind of the more that I thought about potential careers, I knew that having a PhD would really put me far in a career. And so that's kind of why I decided to stick it out, even though research wasn't my jam. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think we had very parallel paths coming into to graduate school. I remember that day very clearly where I found out you actually got paid to go to graduate school. That seemed like such an amazing deal to me. <laughs> uh, but also <laughs> that transition of what the reality of being a graduate student is like can even be different than what it's like to be a researcher prior to graduate school. Uh, so I can I can appreciate that questioning of if research is for you very early in, in your stages of grad school. But what made you change your mind? You, you mentioned you're, at first you weren't sure how you felt about grad school, but then you realized it maybe could help you with your career. What kind of thoughts about your career were you having back in those days as a, as a first-year grad student? Yeah, when I was in college, I had kind of looked at, okay, what could you do with a PhD versus without a PhD? And it seemed like for being in the sciences, you were very limited if you just had a bachelor's and even pretty limited with a master's. So kind of the more that I looked at other potential careers and like alt at careers, so not in academia careers, I realized, okay, having a PhD will be really beneficial for me. And I can try and position what I'm doing in grad school to prepare me well for a career that's outside of academia. Yeah, I think that's great that you had put that much intentional thought and effort into your career prior, well, first deciding whether you you wanted to go to graduate school, uh, but then in graduate school. And I know that you were very intentional with some of your time that you spent in graduate school to get you to the career you wanted. And we're going to talk about that more in a bit as well. But thinking back into those early days of graduate school, tell me a little bit about your process in choosing an advisor and deciding what lab to join. Were you thinking about your future career at all in that 
decision-making process or was it really about what environment you felt like you could do science the most effectively? Yeah, for me, the science environment was extremely important because some of my earlier rotations, I, I chose them because of the science. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting science to do. But I kind of realized through those rotations that if the lab environment isn't exactly what I want it to be, then it's going to make it hard to do that science because over time, your science is never going to work as you expect it to. And so you need to have a supportive environment when things don't work well. So kind of as I was entering my third rotation, I realized how important it was to have a good mentor in science, one that could not only mentor you professionally, uh, but also scientifically and also personally as well. And that kind of led me to join my uh, thesis lab of, in the lab of Dr. Humana Chidiche. She was very focused on mentorship and in encouraging students, not just in their science, but in other ways as well, and in giving us opportunities to develop as professional people, just out, even outside of science, which I really appreciated. That's great. Would you say that it was an obvious choice? You know, you rotated through some different labs and ultimately settled on the one that you did, but was it super apparent to you at the end of all of your rotations which lab uh, would would provide you that type of environment, or was it a difficult decision? It was pretty easy for me. My first rotations, they were good, but they weren't, I didn't see myself in those labs long term. And once I did my third rotation, I was like, okay, I can see being in this lab for the rest of my time in grad school. Well, one thing I, I noticed is soon after you graduated, and first of all, congratulations on your, I will still say, fairly recent uh, PhD, so congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but soon after that, you you tweeted out some broad lessons that you learned uh, during your time in graduate school as you reflected back. And I'm always interested to hear from newly minted PhDs right at the end of graduate school while it's fresh in your mind things you learn, because I almost feel like even even remembering my own experience, once that degree is conferred and grad school is suddenly in the rearview mirror, your perspective and your mental relationship with graduate school immediately <laughs> changes from when you're still trying to get your thesis done. Um, and since most of our listening audience are individuals who either want to go to grad school or are in graduate school, I think this is really valuable advice for someone who's who's just recently finished. So one of the things you mentioned in that tweet was you learned how to deal with failure and get back on your feet. Could you talk a little more about what you mean by that and how you learned that lesson? Yeah, definitely. And kind of to what you said before, yeah, at the end of grad school, I was super jaded and bitter. And then once I finished, I was like, oh, this was a good time. And I like at some moments, I'm like, wait a minute, you did not like this when it was going on. So why are you kind of looking at it with rosy colored glasses? But I think, yeah, that's the point you make of when you can reflect on things and see how you've grown as a person. It really helps you appreciate it, even if it was a difficult and hard and not fun journey at many points. But in terms of failure, I... Yeah, I had a lot of elements of failure throughout my PhD. I was rejected from two grants, uh, ended up getting one of the grants, the F31, after resubmitting it. One of my projects that I'd worked on for a year, we had to scrap eventually and not, I wanted with that, I had to just kind of let go of the sunk cost fallacy and just be like, you know what, it's going to be better if I let this project go. And there were a lot of other elements of either experimental things that I failed with or had difficulties with, or even a lot of my project was bioinformatics and trying to understand how that worked and make sure my code was working correctly. There was a lot of moments where I questioned myself and even failed in some moments and had to do a lot of reanalysis. And I think that working with failure really taught me a lot about 
just getting up the next day, doing the next thing and keeping going because it's sitting in the moments of failure and trying to, when you just sit in those moments, it's very overwhelming and it's not productive either because you're not trying to move forward. And there were definitely moments where I would have to sit in the failure and just be like, okay, let me just sit here for a moment and then I'll get up and keep going. But I think that's very applicable to other life things as well. Like I look at how I can respond to failure now, whether that's in my current job or other areas of my life. And I can respond so much better having gone through grad school than I could when I was in college. Like the sort of failures I went through in grad school would have decimated me in college. And just seeing that personal growth has been really great. And I'm sure that that's going to continue. I'll continue to see that throughout the rest of my life. Yeah, I totally agree. Those are important lessons to learn, not just in grad school, but beyond. I do wonder, as you described it, it sounded, uh, sounded very lovely. Like I sat with my failures and then I picked myself up and moved on the next day. But I imagine having been through similar failures when you're actually in it, right? When you're in the middle of these failures before you can actually see that it's going to resolve, right? It can be easy to feel like, oh, this is just never going to work and there's no path forward here. What was your process in learning to actually do that, actually dust yourself off, do the next thing? Did you have support in doing that, like from your mentor or others, or or that's something within yourself that you figured out. Uh, tell us more about how you, in the moment, figured that out. Oh yeah, my first response was never like, "Oh, this is great. Like I'm going <laughs> to learn how to deal with failure." It was definitely like, "My world is ending. I don't know what's going on. I'm never going to be done with this PhD ever in my life." You say, I'm learning a valuable lesson today. <laughs> right, right. It's only been when I reflect back on that I see, oh, okay, there were some lessons to be learned here. Yeah, my mentor was good at trying to help me focus on just the little things. Uh, sometimes that worked, sometimes that didn't. I had a lot of support uh, outside of grad school as well. I'm married and my husband and I got married before grad school. So he's been a huge source of support as well as my family. And I'm also a Christian as well. And that's definitely helped me kind of put the right, my grad school experience in the right perspective and realize it's not my whole life. Like I am more than just my PhD and more than my work. So that helped a lot when I could take a step back, but I had to take that step back and just kind of disengage myself from the feelings that I was feeling and try and be more logical and say, okay, in the grand scheme of things, is this experiment failing going to matter? And most of the time I could say, no, it's not going to matter. Like, let's just try the next thing and keep moving on. And I think having other grad students around me as well, or people who'd gone through the grad school experience could kind of show me, hey, I had this similar thing happen. I still graduated. Like, things will work out in the end. And I remembered so many students being like, oh, in your fifth year, all your data is going to come together and you're going to have this great PhD. And I was like, that's not true. It's true. It happened for me as well. And I hate giving that piece of advice to grad students now because I know I did not want that advice when I was in the pits of grad school. Yeah, you always feel like, yeah, it may work out for everyone else, but I am totally the exception to the rule. Um, exactly. And and I'll say I, I love that. That's one of the things that, that Dan and I, when we started Hello PhD, really hoped would, would be true for our listeners because, you know, through experience working with a lot of graduate students, being a graduate student, you do realize a lot of these struggles that you have as an individual are not uniquely because of you, right? These are just common struggles with science and with graduate school in general. 
and sometimes sharing those experiences can help you realize like, okay, I'm not alone in this. Um, there's support Definitely. through this. There's a way, a way through. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that. Um, related, you also mentioned in your tweet beyond learning how to face and deal with and contextualize failure, you also learn how to take criticism and not internalize that. I know that can be a really difficult thing to do. Uh, could you talk a little more about that lesson uh, and maybe what that looked like for you in graduate school? So I would say I'm still learning this lesson. I think I learned a big part of it in grad school, but I think it's something I'm always going to be working through because I, as a person, I tend to take written feedback very seriously and think, oh, this is a reflection on me when in reality, it's more a reflection on a project or maybe my thinking process isn't correct. So I think in grad school, I had to kind of separate out that my work does not determine my worth. And I think that's so hard when you're in grad school because you have this project, you've poured your time and energy and effort into it, and it's so easy to let it kind of define you and define your experience as a PhD student. And so it was kind of a constant back and forth in grad school of me, letting that project define me, letting it not define me. And in the times where I kind of separated myself out from my project, I was able to deal with the critiques from my PI on a paper I was writing or from my committee on experiments they wanted me to do or even just reviewer comments as well. And I think working through that has helped me have a better perspective of not internalizing criticism, which now my job as a medical writer, everything I write gets reviewed. So I'm always getting comments and feedback. And I think if I hadn't worked through some of that in grad school, I wouldn't be able to receive the feedback I do now and also be okay with it as well. And I think in most of our careers, we're always going to be getting feedback. So the sooner we can realize that hey, this feedback is meant to help us and not hurt us, that is where we can kind of separate those out. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I'm curious, were you, or, or did you ever encounter feedback? Or I, I think to a certain degree, sometimes I think about feedback in a different way as criticism. And at least in my mind, sometimes the intent behind it is, or, or the trust that I have with the person who's delivering it, distinguishes the two for me. Were there ever circumstances where you would discern between, okay, this is critical feedback that I need to hear or from someone, while it may sting to receive it, I understand this person's just trying to help me improve and move forward versus, well, this is a critical voice, but maybe I don't need to listen to all critical voices. Is that something you've experienced? Mm. Yeah, I think so for sure. I think some of the more critical voices I heard in grad school were uh, reviewers for papers and even some reviewers for grants as well when they're kind of questioning your your worth as a scientist and saying, oh, is this, especially for grants where they take into account your undergrad experience, your uh, experiences outside of grad school, and they're kind of looking at the whole package. There were some moments in there where they definitely said some things. I was like, I don't think this is true. Like, I'm just going to let this slide. I think the harder criticism for me was sometimes from my PI where like my PI is definitely very well intentioned with the criticism and the uh, trying to make my papers better. But sometimes I think because it was I was so tied to that work and also tied to wanting her feedback that made it difficult to uh, separate in those sort of cases. Hmm. Did you encounter any any feedback or criticism for taking time away from your science or from graduate school to pursue a non-academic career and to gain experiences that would 
would sort of help you in that transition that you ultimately did make that we're going to talk about uh, shortly. Uh, but did you ever receive any pushback from, from anyone for spending that time uh, focusing on your career development? Thankfully, I didn't receive as much as I thought I would, considering what I'd read on Twitter about people bringing up to their PIs or their committee, just they're wanting to be in all academia and the PIs not being receptive. I was I knew pretty early on that I didn't want to stay in academia, and I made that very clear to my committee early on of thinking about potential careers. So I think that helped prepare their expectations for what I would want to do. And I think I even had mentioned, maybe in my second or third committee meeting, that I'd want to pursue an internship and would they be not, I don't even think I asked them if they'd be okay with it. I was like, I want to do this for my career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't and need my PI permission. was very supportive. Yeah, exactly. And my PI was supportive. I, I definitely had to still advocate and make it clear that I was going to do my research work on top of the internship that I was doing. And I just kind of made, I explained to her that I was going to make it a priority, make research and the internship a priority. And there wasn't, wasn't any issue on that front, thankfully. And I think that goes back to what I think is a really important lesson for any graduate student, especially those who are just getting started, how super critical it is to choose the right mentor and choose the right lab. And um, I could imagine that one reason why that was as seamless as it was, one, because you were holding up your end of the bargain and you were getting your research done in addition to pursuing your, your career, but also you were in an environment with a mentor who was who you were open with and who was open and amenable to you get, gaining those experiences. So I hope folks listening will, will realize for, from hearing you, there are mentors out there who actually will be okay with you pursuing paths outside of academia. Yeah. And I, I think one thing as more students go outside of academia, it will help, help the academics understand what is required of those sort of careers towards the end of my PhD, my committee and my PI were, really pushing for me to get a paper out. And I'm glad I got the paper out at the end, but it also didn't really mean anything for my career. And they very much had the opinion of, oh, this is going to make or break your career. I'm like, no, it's not. Once you're in medical writing, they don't care if you have another paper from grad school. So there is still some elements where the academics need to be educated on some of the alt-ac careers and just what's required of them because it's Papers are not the currency outside of academia. I'm sure your PI was glad that you got that paper out. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the last thing you mentioned in that Lessons Learned tweet was you said that grad school gave you an appreciation for hard things. And again, maybe that's one of those sort of instant perspective moments that look differently once that degree was safely in your hand than it did the week before. But yeah, talk talk a little more about that. And I'm curious, uh, after grad school, are you done with hard things for a while? Or did grad school leave you wanting wanting more hard things in your future? Uh, Yeah, this is is a good question. I think I've, during my PhD, there were moments where I realized, okay, these hard things are good things. And I remember there was a quote, I'm trying to remember who it's by, but it was saying that a smooth sea does not make a skilled sailor. And I was like, oh, I like that. I like that perspective of these things I'm going through are growing me as a person. And right now, I'm honestly happy to not have hard things going on. My my job's very stable. I, I really enjoy it. It feels so much better than grad school. But I mean, my husband and I want to have kids soon. And we've joked like, oh, yeah, that's People have said that's a lot harder than a PhD. So that's probably the one hard thing on the horizon. But I think as well, just as 
as a Christian, I think the hard things really drew me closer to God and helped me realize how little I could actually do on my own and how much I had to rely on people around me to help me and support me. And it kind of showed me that I, I have a limit to what I can do. And, but also it gives me an appreciation for when I do have hard things come along, how will I let those, well, I either complain about it and let it make me angry and frustrated, or will I try and look at it as an opportunity for growth and having that growth mindset? Yeah, I think that growth mindset is is so important, not just in graduate school, but um, but elsewhere. Speaking of kids, I try to con- convince my kids to have a growth mindset when they say, I can't do this, I could never do that. I'm like, why don't we have a growth mindset with doing the dishes? How about that? <laughs> I'm sure they're like, ugh. But one day they'll be like, oh, thanks, Dad. Maybe. I hope they're on a podcast someday uh, thanking me for making them unload the dishwasher. I guess the the last thing, Emma, uh, with with this part of our, our conversation, you know, I mentioned, and as you know, much of our listening audience who's going to be hearing this might be right in the middle of the throes of graduate school where you were not that long ago. Uh, what would you want to say to them? I guess what last things would you say to them, a grad student who's there sitting at their bench doing experiments, not knowing where this is going to lead? Uh, what advice would you give them? I think I'd first off say that it's okay to want to quit. I wanted to quit numerous times. I remember one time sitting down and like writing out what I could do with half a PhD. Could I master out? And just like I let myself ask those questions and not be afraid of the answer. And my answer was eventually to stay and get the finish the PhD. But in terms of just the day to day, I would really encourage students to have things outside of grad school. That definitely helped me take my mind off of grad school. And along with that, I really tried to keep hours that were manageable. And my PI was very, very receptive to like a normal work-life balance. And so that definitely helped that. And I know some PIs are not receptive to that. But as much as you can keep a normal work-life balance or at least have some spaces in your house where you're not bringing work home, that can really help just that mental transition. And one of the things I I really appreciated from my PI was her emphasis on doing things little by little. When I focused on my huge grad school timeline of when I wanted to be done and all the papers that needed to be published, that was very overwhelming. But if I tried to break things up into smaller steps and then just go day by day and see, okay, in these little steps I've made this week, have I gotten a little bit closer to this goal? And most of the time I could say yes. And that was really encouraging just to see those little small steps of growth. But it's okay to want to quit. And looking back now, I'm glad I got the PhD. There, there are still some days where I'm like, was it really worth it? But I think just for where I am now and the career that I have and that I've always dreamed of, it's like getting the PhD was necessary for where I wanted to be. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the experience. I sometimes wish it was would have been easier in some cases. But again, I think those hardships definitely grew me as a person and have given me a different level of empathy for people also going through similar things in grad school. That's fantastic. Well, Emma, thank you uh, so much for your time and sharing that wisdom. I'm going to have you stick around because we're now going to talk about that career uh, that you're in now and how that's going. And we're going to stop it there. And like I mentioned, what a tease. (laughs) (laughs) We will share Emma's discussion of her career as a medical writer on next week's show. Uh, We went into her day to day as a medical writer, how she positioned herself for this job and advice she gave for others who might be interested in a career in science writing communication. That'll be on our next episode in a couple of weeks. Uh, But for now, Dan, what did you think about uh, Emma's experiences? I always think it's great 
to hear advice and experiences from somebody fresh out of grad school? Because you definitely, over time, we can sort of get these rosy colored glasses about what it was actually like, but this is fresh for her. Yeah, and it the nice thing about that is you do forget about a lot of the details as you as you're looking forward to this great career in front of you, your focus really is on that future. But you know, even hearing her speak, it reminded me of a lot of experiences I had that were very very similar. So, one of the things she talked about was doing a couple of rotations and knowing that that wasn't the place for her, just like sensing it. And I had the same experience, I'm sure you did too, Josh. It's like I can't put words to why I don't fit here or that this isn't scratching whatever itch brought me to graduate school and made me think that I wanted to have a career in science. But you kind of know it when you go through it. (laughs) I think the really harrowing part of her story and everybody who goes through this is I just did two that I'm pretty sure I don't want to stay in these labs. Is the third one going to get me there? And and it's very nerve wracking at that time, not knowing if that third one is actually going to be the one for you. So, uh, you know, I felt I refelt some of those uh, feelings as she talked about it. Yeah, and that was totally true for me too. Uh, rotations one and two were definitely not good fits. And yeah, you put a lot of eggs in that third basket. It's like, well, okay, maybe this is not for me. Uh, but when you do find that lab where you feel like it's a good fit for you and who you are and what kind of scientist you want to be, it does give you a little bit of new life, at least temporarily. And I think it was really insightful that Emma made a good choice when she said, you know, I was asking her, did she get any pushback for taking some time out of the lab to pursue some of these career professional development pursuits? And she said, not really. It seems like those are, she was very upfront about what her interests were, what she might want to get out of her graduate school experience. So much better to have that conversation before you've committed to a lab than feel like you have to sneak around later. I thought it was really interesting, though, that she spoke to her committee about her career goals. Do you find that's really common, Josh? Because I can't remember whether my committee knew that I was definitely going to get out of lab and stay out of lab. Um, I I think being forward with them about it might either change the way they assess you. And and I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I think talking to your committee about your career goals can be a great thing to do. Uh, and, and that can be true even if your advisor is not the most supportive about your career goals. Because the one nice thing about a committee is oftentimes you will get more supportive and unbiased advice from a committee member because they <laughs> their success is not tethered to yours, if that true. makes sense. Um, you know, I had some advisors, I had some faculty who gave me really great advice that I was not in their lab. Uh, but I knew they were really crappy mentors for the people in their lab. They were <laughs> they terrible were treat- to their own students. Exactly, yes. exactly. But they had good perspective if you were not in their lab. So, uh, and and you know, I'll say the other thing about why I think what Emma did was great, being open with her committee, is at the end of the day, your committee holds the keys to letting you go. And I will say, committees tend to be motivated to. They want you to move on to the next step. They want you to get a job. They want you to have something to do when you finish. And so that can really motivate a committee to help you do what you need to do to get out, uh, but only if you're open about what your career goals are and open about the fact you are pursuing something. So it sounds like Emma did that. And I wonder if 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 I'm going on and I say, I want to be a faculty member at an Ivy League school etc. I need a postdoc at one of these Ivy League schools. So therefore, 
my committee, hopefully, if, if they are doing the right thing, they should hold my papers and my research to a higher standard because they know I'm not going to walk out with a, a 15th author paper and walk into a postdoc at one of these elite universities. But if I say, look, I've got my, I've got my first author or second author paper, whatever it is, but I don't have five papers, but I want to go do science writing or I want to go do computer programming or I want to go do something that doesn't require that academic CV that's 15 pages long. Hopefully they can say to me, well, you've got what you need to go do that career. And, and I, I think that there may be assessing based on that. Yeah, you're right, Dan. And I think over time, faculty in general and therefore committees have become a little more savvy and knowledgeable about the different types of careers that their students are going on to do. You know, back in the day, when we were in grad school, Dan, first of all, I mean, part of it was we would have never thought to talk to our committee about our careers because we weren't even necessarily thinking about true. We were very imaginative, imaginative about our own careers. Uh, but these days, you know, pro- graduate programs in general are becoming more intentional about giving career and professional development to their grad students, a very broad career development. And I think faculty, especially newer faculty, are just more aware of those career options themselves. So you're totally right. And a committee should do that. If you're very open about the fact my career plan is, yeah, I want to be a tenure track faculty member at a large research one institution, then they might advise you like, yeah, you know what? It would be worth your time to spend another six months here, get that next really great first author paper on your CV, that's going to help you. And I like that, Dan. Actually, I like that nuance of, because really it's doing what each individual needs to meet their goals. And, you know, Emma spoke about the fact she knew from her own research that being a medical writer, sticking around, doing the extra work to get this extra paper, wasn't really going to have any currency at all in the career she was headed towards. Yeah, I had a similar experience in grad school. I had a a paper that I co-authored with a postdoc in another lab. And as a postdoc, he was going to go on to a faculty position almost certainly. And I was going to go on to not research. And so when it came to a discussion about who had first author, I said, it was not relevant to my career trajectory to fight over this, right? And, And we didn't have to have that fight. But I know that in a case where you have a co-authorship and first author really does mean something to some people and in their career path, that's a much more difficult discussion. I agree. I agree. Dan, I wanted to get your opinion on one thing that Emma said. So she was given some advice. I think it was from a when she was more junior, from a senior grad student or someone who had just finished up, who said, don't worry, it will all come together and work out in the end. And that was really hard to hear, maybe as a third-year graduate student, uh, but then for her, it did happen that way. And I'm just curious what you think about that, Dan. Do you think uh, do you think that is true, first of all, for grad students? Does it all, it always comes together and works out in the end? Uh, certainly, I can imagine neither of us would have liked that advice ourselves as third-year, fourth-year grad students. Uh, but do you think that's true? It all works out in the end. Well, I'm sure it doesn't always work out in the end, but I think what she is identifying here is that to make it end, you make it work out. Uh, I'm kind of reminded of the interview I did with Andres de los Reyes a few weeks ago about the job talk, where he he mentioned that you don't know what your research program is as you're doing it. It's when you have to put together a job talk that you construct a narrative around the things you've already done. And I feel like, at least with my dissertation, Josh, 
I took these three fairly disparate research projects that I was doing and I had to weave them together. Now, did I have this grand plan? <laughs> no, I certainly didn't. But because I wanted to graduate, it worked. And I found the, the data, the program that I needed to uh, construct a, a loose <laughs> knitting around so that I could graduate. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. So maybe it's less about this will all tie itself up in a tidy little bow because it probably won't. But maybe it, what yeah, it means is... Yeah, it's not is, coherent from the outside. Like, I, I wouldn't have planned, oh, I'm going to have these three different things and they're going to all make sense at the end. But what I had was three different things and I had to make them make sense. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe what it means is you will find a way to tie everything that you do have together in service of getting that PhD and transitioning to the next step in your career. And I will say, based on my experience, Dan, and I think all the people we've talked to over the years on the podcast, that once people do make that transition from graduate school into some career, it generally is better. So there, there, there certainly are really good things that await you after the PhD, for sure. So in yeah. that sense, it does work out. Yeah, I think it's funny. The phrase, it will all come together and work out is kind of like the phrase, it's always in the last place you look. Like, yeah, it's in the last place you look because once you find it, you stop looking. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it either came together and it worked so out or it didn't come together and it didn't work out. And therefore, <laughs> you didn't have That's the conversation true. about it. That is true. Uh, that is true. Uh, and, and, you know, I like what she said. I like her honesty at the end where advice she gave was it's okay to tell yourself that you might want to quit. Like it's okay if you want to quit and that she faced that. Dan, I know I faced that. I know you faced that as well. Obviously we, for I think very different reasons made the decision to carry on and it did all work out in the end, but you shouldn't run away from those feelings of wanting to quit. Those are very valid. It's important to hear that from as many people as possible because you're going to face it, it doesn't matter if you love lab 92% of the time or 98% of the time. There will be a day when you say, this is terrible. What if I just quit? And I think recognizing everybody has those periods of time. It could be months. It could be years. But uh, trying to hide it or suppress it is not going to get you through it. What she did, I think, is she looked at the cost benefit. I think she was more rational about it maybe than I was. I, I was very <laughs> fear driven. Um, and she was saying, well, actually, I do have this career on the horizon that I want, and I think I need this degree to get there. And that's a much better assessment than what I was doing. It was like, well, what will people say? And you know what I mean? It's Mine came from a negative place of staying as opposed to a positive, I'm heading in this direction. Yeah, and I think following that thread that we were talking about a minute ago about the, the, it all, the PhD coming together in the end, I think it's important to to just say out loud here that, that one reason that can drive people to feeling like they might need to quit or have to quit is when you get in that, that dark moment of the soul that every PhD student faces at some point in the middle is you, you can't see a path to the end, I think is sometimes what drives that. So and, true. And realizing, hearing this from someone else, hearing this from Emma and someone else said it to her and we're saying it as well that there will be a way that it comes together in a PhD. There is no perfect PhD. There are very few neat and tidy PhDs. You may not see it yet, how it's going to come together, but it can if you want it to. 
I think is important and you, to know. And you will make it come together. <laughs> you will. You will. And and there are people around you who want to help you make it come together. We talked about your committee just a minute ago. Hopefully your PI also. Uh, but even if not, your your committee, other mentors who may be uh, in your corner, um, me and you, Dan, we, we want to help We're here. you make it come together. Um so yeah, I thought that was great though that that she named that very real feeling that I would say most grad students face at some point in time. All right, Josh. Well, that was excellent. I am very intrigued to hear about her career in science writing. Now, I'm pretty sure that science writing was one of the 1,500 careers I considered when I knew I didn't want to work in lab forever. So uh, I guess I'll have to wait till next week for that one. You will, but I think it will be worth the wait, Dan. Uh, But in the meantime, if any of our listeners have topics they'd like to hear us cover on the show or new careers they'd like for us to explore, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com, or send us a tweet at hellophd. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform. We love your feedback and it helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We would love the money for infused tequilas, thanks to the ongoing support from all of our patrons. You still have me laughing, Josh. You said, if our listeners would like us to explore other careers, like just anything but podcasting, (laughs) please. We have a face for radio, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, we do. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, Josh. See you next time.